Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowder from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. A gospel reading from the fifth chapter of Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came up and fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had much endured. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt that her body was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you even say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. When when he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother, and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Little girl, get up. And immediately the twelve-year-old girl got up and began to walk about. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you, my friends. In faith. Well, this is one of my other friends in faith, but his name is Yurakmil. He is a rabbi who grew up in Australia. And so at 5 a.m. every morning while we were in South Carolina, we'd be decked out, not in this, but actually in our army gym clothes, and we'd check in with each other. Hey, how's it going? It took me about three or four days to actually be able to pronounce his name. But uh, once I finally did and I could say, hey, Yurakmil, how's it going? We'd just love to be able to check in. He had, he's got five kids. And so 
you know, just, hey, what's going on? What's, how's, how are things going back home? He's a professor in Colorado, and he was telling me that he joined the Army and decided to go into chaplaincy after the, uh, the Pittsburgh synagogue mass shooting back in t- uh, 2018. It was kind of this wake-up call in his life that said, hey, it's not someone else that needs to step up. It's my time. I've been called to serve into this ministry. And just some of the profound stories that kind of came out of him and his experiences as someone who grew up in Australia but living here in America and in this, this call of his. And then there's a guy named Malik. Now, Malik was one of the fittest guys there. He was actually, you know, when he was younger, he was a scholarship basketball player. Uh, he grew up Christian, and he started feeling disenchanted with his faith because he noticed that people would say that they believed one thing, but then they'd live a different way. And so some of the struggles in his life were back in 2018. You know, he had a, you know, just graduated, and, and he couldn't get a job, and he was living out of a truck for a year. And so in some of that, that desperation and some of those struggles, a friend of his said, well, you should try reading the Quran. And so as he was doing it, it opened up this new thing for him. And he loved the, the, the guidance that it gave him. It helped him react to life circumstances, whether life was going well or whether life was not going well. And so Malik is now one of seven Muslim chaplains who uh, is among the 1,400 active duty army chaplains in this country. Uh, but I would say that that's not his attitude. He, he said, I'm not the Muslim chaplain. I'm a chaplain who happens to be Muslim, and I am truly a chaplain for all. I loved how, as I was able to, to meet these uh, chaplains from different faith traditions, how there's this spirit of, of just genuine curiosity amongst us, especially since the majority of, of us were Christians, uh, and we had a majority of different Christian denominations represented. And so as we would get to know these rabbis and the imam, you know, we were full of questions, and we wanted to learn about them uh, and learn about their experience. And as people of a different faith, we as Christians understood the importance of having their presence and knowing that they could walk alongside soldiers of, of their faith backgrounds. So this was celebrated. We knew that we were all kind of on the same team. So however, when the Christians would all kind of hang out with the other Christians, that's where some of the action happened, right? That was where some of the differences would start to emerge, where uh, people would have some highly opinionated beliefs. And it was just kind of fascinating. I would kind of sit there with my popcorn, not, not literally, but I would kind of just sit there and listen to these conversations play out and people kind of getting really deeply intense into their beliefs, whether that was like the creation story or Noah's Ark. I'm like, oh my goodness, you guys are, you guys are pulling back the, the layers of this onion that I, I'm just, I'm not going there with you guys. There tended to be this tendency among my peers, the Christian peers, to like claim scriptural authority and that no matter what they, they believed, they, they knew that they were going to be right. And so it wasn't like a conversation that they were trying to like learn something, that they were just, they were just there to be right. And so I also thought it was interesting that there were fewer conversations to like seek understanding amongst peers of the same faith as they would if it was the rabbi or the imams. And I, I didn't want to go down those theological rabbit holes. In fact, I found it more fulfilling to, like I had conversations with Yerak, Miller, Malik, like to instead have these conversations to figure out, well, who are you as a person? What energizes you? What, what is your calling? Why are you here? And what can I learn from you? What are the different things that you bring? What are the gifts you bring that I can learn from and I can become a better uh, pastor? I can become a better person. And that really kind of hits home as I was thinking about this particular quote from Verna Dozier. 
Uh, in her book, The Dream of God, she, she said the important question to ask is not what do you believe, but what difference does it make that you believe? And there's, there's a distinction here because I think oftentimes we just get stuck on the well, what do you believe? And if you don't believe what I believe, then, then we just can't get along. We just can't belong, right? It, it, it's kind of this test of belonging in many ways. Like, believe like I do, and if you don't, well, then you don't fit. You don't belong. Uh, we, we can often like put up some barriers. Well, if you don't believe like I do, then those promises of Jesus, they don't belong to you either. But is that how Jesus responds? Because I think our stories today open up some interesting little windows into how Jesus responds to people who are, who are coming forward and, and seeking him. Because what happens when this leader of a synagogue asks Jesus to heal his daughter? I think about the relationship that Jesus must have with religious leaders was probably kind of tense. Think about it. Like, does Jesus, when this leader of the synagogue, Jairus, come up to him, does he say, oh, sure, I'll, I'll come with you, Jairus, if you can just convince the rest of your buddies, the rest of the leaders of the synagogue, to just kind of leave me alone and back off and stop giving me such a hard time? Jesus doesn't say that, does he? Or, or does Jesus say, well, you know, the last time I was in the synagogue, I actually healed a man with a withered hand, but all you guys could focus on was the fact that I did it on the Sabbath, and, and you just gave me too much of a hard time for doing that. So Jesus could have said, like, Jairus, nah, I'm, I'm good. No thanks. I'm not going to help you out. But he doesn't. He follows him. And then all of a sudden, this woman appears. Now, this scenario that kind of plays out is interesting, right? Because this woman, you know, if we're just kind of watching this scene play out, this could have felt like just she's harmlessly bumping into Jesus. And if we were, you know, one of the right-hand, you know, disciples right next to Jesus, we would probably think the same thing that they did. Like, Jesus, how would we, I mean, why, could, why would we think this was intentional? Yet this woman knows and Jesus knows that there's nothing accidental about this encounter. In fact, she is absolutely desperate. This, this illness of hers has made her an alien. It's made her an outsider. It's made her someone on the outskirts of society. And so she knows that this is a risk that she's willing to take. Because she, honestly, she's got nothing to lose. Does she have to make like a statement of belief? Does she have to like confess all of her sins before this healing will go into effect? No, she touches Jesus in the middle of a crowd, and instantly she's made well. And instantly Jesus stops and says, hey, what are you doing? And she tells him everything, tells him all of her history, tells him what she has gone through. And I think about this question for her. What do you believe? What does she believe? Well, she believes that Jesus is going to be able to heal her. That Jesus is her last hope. So then what difference does it make that she has this belief? Well, the reality is, because she believes, she acts. She reaches out. She actually takes a risk. Her hope outweighs her fear, and she goes for it. And she reaches out to Jesus. And because of this, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The end. But the story's not quite over yet, right? Like, there was this other whole story about this, this leader of the synagogue, and all of a sudden, like, we've completely forgotten that story because of this miraculous healing. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, that's right. There's this other really important story happening. Like, Mark has kind of put this one story and then a completely other one, and before, we've, like, we've kind of forgotten what, what else was happening. 
Mark was like, by the way, there's still this really important thing happening. But an interesting development has happened. You see, while Jesus has been distracted and healing this woman and hearing her life story, Jairus' daughter's died. And someone has come to him and said, look, sorry, Jairus, it's too late. And so he's there, mourning, devastated. And they come up to him and, and they're like, Jairus, there's, there's no magic cloak of Jesus that can help. They're like, Jairus, just, just leave the teacher alone. Just leave Jesus alone. Stop bothering him. Just come home to your family now. But Jesus overhears what's going on. And he tells this now grieving father not, not to fear, only to believe. You heard that expression, faith over fear? Now, now this, this sounds great. Like, it sounds great to be able to have faith over here, but over fear, but the reality is, like, his daughter's not with him anymore. And think about how he's got to reconcile this. Yeah, Jesus just healed this other woman, but, but death? I mean, death, is, it's death, right? There, there's, for, for them, this is the final answer. So what does his father believe now? How does he answer that first question? Well, before he met Jesus, he believed that this Jesus he'd heard about could heal his daughter. And even now, in his mourning, he's willing to say, Jesus, why don't you come over to my house? And what difference does that make? Well, Jairus is willing to put his entire livelihood and his reputation on the line because as the leader of the synagogue, the more he's aligned with whatever Jesus is saying, the bigger risk he has of alienating himself. He's willing to become an outsider. He's willing to put that all on the line if it means that Jesus can come to his house and heal his daughter. And so Jesus arrives and he says, little girl, get up. And I mean, they're all laughing at Jesus. They're like, what are you, what are you doing? And she pops up and she's alive and they feed her, right? Here, eat some food. You're not a zombie. You're not a ghost. You're alive. And then he says something just really odd to me. Like, and by the way, you just witnessed that I brought this girl back to life, but don't tell anyone about it. Jesus, if you would just do a miracle like this, everybody would believe in you, right? Why can't we just tell everyone? Because it's easy to believe a miracle worker. If I'm broken and you fix me, I'll believe whatever you say, Jesus. But Jesus is looking for something deeper for us. Belief shouldn't be dependent on seeing a miracle like this woman being healed or or a girl being raised from the dead or Thomas, this unbeliever, this doubter saying, look, if only I can put my hands in his sides and his fingers, I'll believe. But we have those stories because what Jesus truly wants from us is to go deeper than what do you believe and think about what difference it makes that we believe. Jesus wants us to invest in the so what. All right, Jesus, you're the savior of the world. Hooray. Now what? So what? What difference does it make to you and to me that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus died on that cross, and that Jesus rose from the dead? Because it makes all the difference in the world. Belief, it's something that needs to get 
it's something that gets lived out. It gets experienced. Belief is active. Belief leads us to do exciting things for the sake of God's people in this world. And this, my friends, is a really interesting time to be the church, isn't it? Think about what churches are going through around the world. What are churches doing? What are churches trying to figure out in this time of post-pandemic, of current pandemic, of whatever we are in? There are churches that are proclaiming that they've got all the answers. Devote, that they say, well, what do you believe? You believe this, and, and I promise you, I will give you what you're looking for. And there are churches that are going to pro- proclaim that you have to be in person, or you've got to be in a small group, or you have to do X, or you have to do that. And there are going to be some churches that are going to act like the pandemic never happened. Just forget the last year and a half of our lives, and let's just get back to normal. But the pandemic did happen, didn't it? And I think about where is God in all of that? What is God calling us to do as individuals and as the church? What are we being called to do next? Believe it or not, I know what you're thinking. Wow, this is the point in the sermon where, Jesus, where John's going to tell us all the answers. But I'm not. But you can guess that I have a lot of questions and a lot of ideas and a lot of excitement about what's next. I'm excited for whatever God is leading our church to do next because we know who we are. We know what we believe. So what difference does it make that we believe? Belief matters. It matters a whole lot. But we can believe and still not move, be frozen, be afraid to move forward. What difference does it make that we believe? We state these promises plainly in the promises that are given at baptism, which we'll do at the very end of worship today, as we gather around Liliana, that we will say that we proclaim Christ through word and deed, that we care for others in the world that God made, and we work for justice and peace. I'm just like her grandma as Sue did this. She lived this out as she supported refugees, as she did with all of her being. Like we remember how we are interconnected in all of this. And it is an active faith. It's the kind of faith that reaches out to Jesus, that reaches out to others. It's a faith that doesn't get stuck in the weeds over differences. But instead it sees each and every one of us as part of God's kingdom, as part of God's loving creation. And what a blessing that is. What a difference we can make. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.